0: listening
1: to The Magnet Podcast.
0: Ah, Welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Lewis Kornfeld. My guest today is the endlessly delightful Hannah Chase. Hannah, thank you for talking.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I just got reamed out by Peter McNerney
1: <laughs> in the office
0: for not including enough facts about people's lives and timelines on the podcast. So, Hannah. Oh, no. What is your timeline? <laughs> I guess the question Peter specifically wanted to know was mm-hmm. what was your first show at the Magnet Theater?
1: That I saw or that I was in? I don't know. I don't know either. And I probably don't know the answer to either (laughs) of those questions. I think it's possible that the first show I saw was the Made Up Musical. Was that around in 2007? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that may be the first show I saw.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Because I was taking class with John O'Donnell.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah, he was my level one teacher.
0: Here at the Magnet? Yeah. Oh, no kidding.
1: Yeah. Wow. So I think that was probably the first show I saw. And I... I guess probably the first show I was in was like a We Might Just Kiss. Yeah. But that's just... That's that's not a memory. That's just an inference. <laughs> a fact. Yeah, great. Happening. We'll
0: check that off. <laughs> yeah. Peter's Is that okay, Peter? Peter's list of facts. I hope you're happy, Peter. <laughs> 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 um, uh, okay, great. Let's avoid the timeline for the time being. Great. Cause that ain't my style. Okay. Uh, you have a director series show coming up next month, right? In, uh, I do. In May. Um Tell us about it.
1: It's, uh, I'm really excited about it. It's called The Cast, which is like a pretty boring name. Uh, I struggled with like whether to try to name it something more exciting. And Mm -hmm. then I ultimately decided I couldn't come up with anything more exciting than that. So it's just now I'm like trying to uh, tell myself that it's like good to have a streamlined name. But I think it's just because I couldn't come up with anything that sounded more interesting. Um, But it's called The Cast. And (sighs) The idea is it's sort of like "Noises Off" improv. Oh. If you've ever seen the show "Noises Off," which is a like a play that um, takes place both like on stage and then backstage. So uh, the idea of the director series will be we'll get the name of a fake play, and then the cast will both like put on that fake play and also like toggle back and forth between being on stage and backstage, which is sort of exciting to me as a form because I think you get to have like two really distinct styles of play within the same piece, mm-hmm. which sounds like fun.
0: You also get to do like two games to your character. throughout Exactly. A show, which exactly. is awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I would like to be in a show like that. That's how I sort of like do everything. Yeah. I feel like, well, I would like to be in this show, so I'll direct it. Or I would like to do this exercise, so I'll coach it.
0: Yeah. I kind of feel like that's like a big part of teaching. Yeah. A big part of producing anything is, like, uh, I I oftentimes find myself failing in shows horribly and then thinking, okay, what would have been a better circumstance for me to have succeeded? Yeah. And then that's what we do in class the next <laughs> yeah,
1: day. Yeah, totally. I think that's, that's a, I mean... That's a good measure to have. I don't know. That's a good bar to measure things by. Yeah. I feel like it's the like really only one I have. Yeah. It's like how does this how do how does this work for me? Yeah. Or how can I make it work for me? And then it's helpful.
0: It's the best that you can do. Exactly. What What about that appeals to you? What about that makes up the show that you would want to be in?
1: The cast. Yeah. Um, I I think like specifically getting to play. At least two really distinct characters that have two really distinct styles. Like I like the idea of a play within, or like an improvised play. Um, It's like very stylized and almost like genre-y and narrative. That's a a style of improv that can be really fun, but probably on its own wouldn't feel very rewarding to Mm me. But being able to like counter that with a a slightly more like realistic sort of fleshed out character-based like style of improv on the other side of things, yeah. sounds fun. It's it's not often that I get to like play in two really like different styles and paces of improv in a single show. So I think that's why it sounds like fun to me. Yeah, uh, and the cast is awesome. I just it? it's um, Megan and uh, Jana. Do I have to say all their last names? You don't have Megan it. Gray, yeah, huh. Jana Schmeening, Allie Fisher, Kate Kotch, Devin O'Neill, Chrissy Grubel, Elena scopetos I don't even know how to pronounce her last name. And Jerry Cole, who mostly does sketch but is awesome. She's yeah. fucking killer. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a perfect cast.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm like beyond thrilled to get to work with all of them.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. And I happen to think that the title is a good title, oh, too. Oh, thank it, you. It's very Lewis. solid. Yeah. I like solid <laughs> titles to things. I'm
1: trying to... Yeah, I think I do, too. Yeah.
0: I. It's interesting sometimes in classes if you just kind of give the note to people to like pretend like the scene that you're about to do is you're an actor and Mm -hmm. you're like putting on this play it's really interesting how like sometimes it's just like a light switch is flipped. Totally. And you could see people's entire approach to everything change and confidence level go through the roof
1: yeah we just ran i just ran that with them in our like second rehearsal which was a few days ago i ran like scripted scenes which are basically that it's like you know we'll get the title of a play and the scene that this play is in and then you're going to perform it this is something you've been rehearsing for months and yeah exactly that it's like they're the confidence in every move just skyrockets and a lot of other things like start to take care of themselves without trying intentionally to do them like a really small one i notice is like stage picture Mm
0: -hmm.
1: becomes like much more interesting and and like you don't have any scenes in that exercise that are just like two people standing around because i think we associate like we know when we see a play that the stage is going to be a certain way and it's it's um it's blocked a certain way and so people like sort of do that as part of that exercise without intentionally thinking like, I'm going to do object work in this scene. Yeah. Because when people think that, it, it's hard. Yeah.
0: I, I, I like that feeling that every single little thing means something. Yeah. And even if you kind of turn your head or cough for a second, that, that's deliberate and on purpose and is speaking to what's going on emotionally in the scene, It's just yeah. it, it frees you up to kind of... Um, just follow the scene where it's
1: taking it? I think so, too. Yeah. yeah, it's a really neat exercise. I like it a lot.
0: And you are also teaching, mm-hmm. uh, uh, along with your regular classes, you have play coming up, right? Or did yeah. that start already? No,
1: it it got pushed back, so okay. it, it's in June now. Cool, Great. So maybe this podcast will come out before, and then you can sign up for it.
0: It definitely will. <laughs> can you talk about play? Sure. It has just a beautiful description to it.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I'm really excited about it. It uh, has an exclamation mark in the title, which I felt important. It was important. Uh, yeah, the the idea—it's another one of those. It's very similar to what I was just saying. It's like uh, it's a class that like I feel I've wanted someone to teach for a long time. So then I was like, well, I'll just teach it. Which um, is just uh, the idea to me is just to really focus on the sort of playful aspects of improv. It's just a lot of like why people initially fall in love with improv, and then. As they go through all the levels, I think people um, start worrying about being good and like learning the right way to be in a scene or the right things to do and start getting very self-critical. And I think that is only an impediment to good improv. Like, I don't actually think... I mean, not that people shouldn't be self-critical and look at themselves and strive to improve, but I think in a lot of cases it can become... Um, it can make improv not fun anymore, mm-hmm. or it can become the very thing that makes you not as good mm-hmm. as you could be, um, which sometimes I feel is true with me. And so I think uh, the goal is just to, to like play and to get people reinvigorated and re-energized about how like playful and joyous improv is and how much it's about like connecting to your, it was really like touchy feely, but, um, but I'm super excited about it. I, yeah.
0: Do you ever find yourself having to give yourself the advice that you would give one of your students or somebody that you're directing.
1: Oh my God. All the time. Yeah.
0: Isn't that like a revelation when you realize that like, Oh, I already know the fucking answer to this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes.
0: I think that that's great because it, it when you're teaching a class it always, I think, keeps you very honest to the experience that everybody's having in the room because, like, nobody knows better than I do when I'm teaching a class how rotten you feel about yourself when everybody else in the room thinks, you're fine, there's no problem, but you just, like, carry your your bullshit around with you, and like, I, I don't know, I find that I oftentimes am, like, stuck in a rut, and then I try to think of, like, well, what would I say to somebody?
1: Yeah, yeah. I do it, I mean, I think I do it, like, in all of life. I certainly do it in terms of improv. And I think even, like, outside of improv, I can be very self-critical and, like, very harsh with myself. And I often have to think, like, what would I say to myself if I were my friend? Because I'm much kinder to my friends than I am to myself. And it can be really... Eye opening to be like, oh yeah, I'm being really shitty to myself right now. Like, yeah. I wouldn't tolerate this from a friend and I wouldn't behave this way toward a friend, so I shouldn't behave this way toward myself. Yeah. And it doesn't always work, but most of the time it helps.
0: What do you think that's about? Uh, why do you think we're so brutally shitty in our own heads so often?
1: I don't know. I've been thinking about it. I mean, I, th- I feel like I always think about it a lot. Um, i don't know I'm, this isn't a particularly deep thought, but I certainly think that like I don't know if I can make this a wee statement because I don't know if other people do this, but I certainly feel like i um, i put I, I overvalue things that I'm not good at mm-hmm. and I undervalue things that I'm good at mm-hmm. so it will leave me feeling like I could, will completely sort of overlook what are my strengths and only focus on what i'm what are my weaknesses, which yeah. is not a good, I'm trying to change it. I'm working on it.
0: It's not easy. Yeah, no, no, it's not. The weaknesses feel a lot more real yeah. than the strengths do.
1: And they, I guess I, I feel I end up like prioritizing them as like the most important things. Yeah. So this, my strengths are like, eh, they're like negligible. It's like, you don't really need those strengths, yeah. but you need these things that I happen to not be very good at. Yeah. So it can be a little messed up.
0: I've, I've always been a big fan of Superman. Mm-hmm. without ever liking any of the actual <laughs> stories or movies or yeah. anything. But, uh, like, the, the character's always been really big for me. And, um, like, even when I was a little kid, the, th- a major appeal was the fact that he has all these incredible powers, but he still feels like Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just, like, there's something about that as an archetype that resonates that your weaknesses are really pronounced in your own mind. Yeah. And, and a lot of times like with your friends or with like the people that you care for in life and certainly with your students, it, It's very easy to forgive people their weaknesses or to not care at all and to just, like, love their strengths. I don't even know if that's, like, the right way to phrase it, weaknesses and strength, too, because there might be something in the way that that we phrase it. Yeah, that's,
1: like, a value judgment that maybe we shouldn't be applying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But there's this really interesting thing on, like, on the inside. Clark Kent feels like the real personality and Superman is a devalued function.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. I think that's really interesting.
0: You're, so you're very critical of yourself in real life. That's interesting, because you are so sunny by disposition. Ooh, was that thunder in the <laughs> yeah. background?
1: That was really great timing.
0: Right when I said Asprey. sunny, the thunder went off. How fascinating! <laughs> oh, nice. That describes a perfect uh, uh, like inner outer. Oh, it's neat. I, I love know. it. Perfect magic. Nice.
1: Can you make that like if it if it doesn't come out in the recording, Grant? Can you add in a sound effect? Okay.
0: You can't hear Grant, but he just said totally because the man who works magic. <laughs> you have, have such a sunny disposition to you. Uh, um, um, and you also seem... Oh, geez I don't know if you're going to take this as a compliment or not. You seem totally professional all the time. You seem to have your shit together. Uh, um, you're very, like, on top of things, which I respect a lot. Um, so I guess it makes sense that... Beneath that is a lot of self-criticism. What drew you to improv? Because improv is like catnip yeah. to your inner self-critic yeah, in it this really weird is. way.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I think that's like the the like meat of it for me in a way. Um, yeah, I. I mean, I think I I got into improv in a really um, like sort of random way. I had improvised as. A kid. I played piano. My I played jazz piano my whole life, and I had like improvised a lot since I was like four. Like, piano was a really serious part of my childhood, and I only did jazz, so I improvised a lot and became very, very, very neurotic about it. Um, so how uh, how, how so? Well, I um toward like the end of high school, I became really self conscious. I think I was like really good at it, and um I I felt a lot of pressure from like it, all, it, all I self, I was completely self-imposed, but I think I imagined that like my parents and my teachers were expecting so much. It was like, it was a very typical like mm-hmm. story, but, um, I became really self-conscious that I was not going to do well enough. And I, I like wouldn't improvise when my parents were in the apartment. I like, I would play the song, like this song, but when I had to like improvise on the song, I would, like, make them go take my dog for a walk. Why my parents, like, continue to enable this entirely fucked up behavior (laughs) is beyond me. Um, But they would do it. They would, like, leave for 45 minutes while I practiced piano, and then they would come back. Um, And I became very, very, like, panicky when I had to perform. And specifically improvising was, like, different from playing, like, a written piece. Because it it was, like, one thing to, like, mess up a written piece, but it felt different to, like, fail in something that was, like, purely me and that I was creating. So I was really, like, weird about it. And then I stopped playing piano when I went to college. Um, and now I sort of, like, regret it, but uh, it's complicated. Um, but I my, like, freshman year of hey, Peter, I'm giving you a timeline Here right we now. go. Oh, my goodness. Buckle your seats, guys, <laughs> yeah. because
0: Peter mcnerney has got a big <laughs> smile on his face right now.
1: Um, yeah, my, my <laughs> freshman year of college, um, I, like, made friends with the guy across the hall from me. Um like during orientation and he wanted to audition for our college improv troupe, which I like, I had never acted. The only acting, this is not an interesting story, but the only acting experience I had was like, I had auditioned for my middle school musical. And like, I was, I was cast as like a, a cause I also was a dancer. So I, I was cast in like the dancers role that also had a monologue attached to it. And they split it into two and gave the monologue to someone else. Cause uh. they like, didn't think I was good enough for the, um, Anyway, and I'm in empathy, did Jesus, yeah, I know. Um, so, uh, so, but I, so, I, and I never did improv. But I guess I had like seen whose line is it anyway, and thought it was interesting. So my freshman year during orientation, this kid Eli, um, who's the guy across the hall from me, wanted to audition and wanted a friend because he was nervous, mm-hmm. and so I accompanied him to the audition and like auditioned along with him, and then I got on the team and he didn't, and Aww. I was like, I mean, petrified for a year, like horribly terrified. Um, every rehearsal I was like terrified and every show I was even more terrified and I didn't even like spending time with the people in the group because like I was terrified like having dinner with them because it was a very like bit heavy group and I like felt really um, like unequipped to like communicate with them Um, but I guess this is a really roundabout way to answer your question I'm really sorry but I think that by the end of that year um, and maybe like going into the following year because I when I came, I'm from New York and so when I came home the summer after my freshman year I took uh, like levels one and two at UCB and I think that like gave me a, a little more confidence but the biggest thing that I like walked away from after that first year of improv was like oh it, it's okay to fail which like seems a, like a really obvious statement but um, it was something that I had a really hard time with I think before then and um, and that like you, you can't it's sort of you cannot do improv and sustain that attitude because you're going to fail all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, like, improv makes failing a little less scary because you fail or, like, you know, you do something that's not funny or it's not good or it doesn't work or whatever, and, like, you have to do it again, and you have to do more of it. I mean, I guess you don't have to, but you do. And so you sort of, like, get used to, like, failing is part of the process. I mean, failing might, be, might sound like too harsh a word, but... Um,
0: but that's what it feels like in that moment. You feel like a failure.
1: Yeah. 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 So, uh, I don't even know what your original question was, and, but that's how that's somehow like what I thought of. Oh, like being cat catnip for self-criticism. Yeah, I, I like I think I think of improv as a, like a process for me, less of like a I don't know if that makes I don't know what if that means anything, but um it's like in, to me improv is like a continual um like in, engagement with that idea of mm-hmm. of like trying to battle my own self criticism and trying to um like re reconnect to what's like playful and um and and not judging myself and it's like a yeah, it's like a process. Improv is like a verb. Yeah for me in a way. I mean it's also a verb, but yeah. It's it's like a, I don't know. Does that make any sense? It
0: does. Yeah, I feel very much the same way about it. Um, um, it's interesting, too, because, like, some of your best moments on stage, um, start off feeling like failures, mm-hmm. um, when you think back on like the three or four like shining magic moments that occurred, I guarantee at least two of those moments started off where you just didn't know the right answer and you were feeling confused and shitty about yourself. Yeah. And on the other side of that was then the most brilliant, wonderful thing Mm -hmm. you've ever seen or done in your entire life. And it, it, that's a nice experience to have because It's somewhere along the way we do sort of absorb this thing that, like, failure is inherently bad or inherently reflects our value as a character. Right. And so we kind of um, try to have the day without the night. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes, totally. I I was was talking with you earlier about this, but I've just been listening to a lot of the podcasts over the last week Uh to, like, catch up on what I what I missed slash in preparation for recording my own podcast. And uh, I was like particularly intimidated by Branson's podcast. Hi, Branson. Hi, Branson. If you're listening. Um, Because he's just like so, I'm so smart and he can quote so many things, which is a thing that I've like never been able to do. But one of the quotes that he, I think, said, or maybe you said was like, I'm going to mangle it. But it was like something about like having to like dig, dig deeper, like dig a hole deeper so that you can fill that hole with, do you know what I'm talking yes, about?
0: No, but I, I don't remember the quote, but I, I know what you're communicating,
1: but it's like, a, it's, I have always had that idea. Like our, I, I envision, I have like a very visual, like memory or vis- I think of things very visually. So like to me, I've always thought of that as like a graph yeah. that, that has, uh, X x-ax- actually X axis symmetry mm-hmm. and you can only go as high as you can go low. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of have to risk looking like an idiot, uh, or failing in order to, like, achieve what's great. Yeah. And it's, like, much safer to stay in that, like, you know, like two, negative two area. But it's much more exciting and rewarding to, like, expand your yeah. y-axis. Yeah,
0: I, make it makes yeah. sense to me. Okay, cool. I, you know, I, as we're talking about it, I realize that I'm sort of uncomfortable with failure as the yeah. kind of measurement that we're using for it. I, like, recently I've been thinking a lot about... The word unfamiliar. Uh, um, because like I noticed this a lot. This You see this a lot in like earlier level classes that you're kind of setting up an exercise and you see people kind of immediately begin to like withdraw yeah. into themselves. And all, all that is, in my opinion, is a, a kind of like mental preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, you're telling yourself that this thing which is unfamiliar to you uh, is difficult Right or or not your taste or not your style or right. whatever and so you immediately kind of like dial down the wattage inside yeah and and, and then
1: it becomes like a self fulfilling prophecy in a way and you're probably
0: it definitely does because yeah. you're not bringing all you can bring to the table is you yeah really mm-hmm. um I, I, I really believe that like you just have to rely on that idea that it's not just these improv skills that I've developed through training and practice, but it's my whole life experience. Mm -hmm. And that's all I have. And, and, and and that's all I have. Like, yeah, that's all I have. It's a lot, you know, but you automatically begin kind of like dialing all that down when you, when you face this unfamiliar thing as Mm -hmm. difficult, you know, but if you kind of like reset, your your expectation towards it a little bit and treat it as, as a novel situation. Um, like the idea that I go back to is like being on a first date with somebody that's going really well. Mm-hmm. That like you're getting to know each other and you're getting the feel of each other. But when it becomes clear that there's like a mutual interest, every single, the very unfamiliarity of this exchange with this other person is is what jazzes you and, and you're, you you right. you meet it with full attention and, yeah. and you know what I mean? Like yeah, totally um and that oh where the hell was I going with this idea? Oh right. Not uh,
1: using the word failure. Not using
0: the word failure.
1: I agree with by the way. But yeah. I'll finish and then
0: it, I'll it, it, there's like too much of a stink associated with it.
1: Totally. But, I, yeah. I'm sorry please. No no you go.
0: Well I, I the the point is I think that so so much of of what you end up chasing, especially the more experience you get. And and when improv loses its kind of original fun, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why it loses that original fun is because you become too smart and you become too prepared. You kind of lose that beginner's mind, and you start doing... Like, you sort of know where things are going. Right. And it doesn't feel... It feels, like, kind of artificial. Yeah. But when new and unfamiliar experiences come up, very often we... Address them from that lens of failure, from that lens of like, I'm not prepared for this. Yeah. And so you veer away from exactly where the life is going to be. Yeah. I've said my piece. I'm sorry. No, to cut you off. No,
1: it's great. No, no. It's so, I agree with you. And it was as you were talking, I realized like, yeah, I would never use the word failure to like my students. Never. But I would use it about myself. Yeah. It's like, goes back to that thing. Um, yeah. So.
0: You know what I, I think that is too? I This is um, really. Personal. Yeah. Here we go. Um, I think that like you internalize other people's opinions like growing up mm-hmm. and then you keep those opinions very fresh and alive. And in a way, at least for me, like on some three year old level. God looking down from the clouds is very active in my brain. Interesting. And and there is like a little bit of like the harder I am on myself, the more it's like an act of like confession to that God yeah. that's frowning on, I knowing your true intentions and knowing, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and so there is this thing where it's like, I would never, ever put that, kind of ridiculous pressure on anybody. Right. But then in your heart of hearts, there's I'm a complete abject failure. Yeah. And there, there is, I think, on the other side of that is this kind of um, fear of, like, brimstone and fire raining down on you because, you know, of, like, the sin of pride or something yes, like that. Yes. Oh,
1: totally. Yes. I agree with you. I don't have the same image, but I I, I think... Yeah, I mean this is getting really like. Uh, sorry, Peter. Yeah, sorry. This is the but this Ed Ed should be happy. Hey Ed, yeah, Ed. you're gonna love this one, yeah. Ed. Oh, good. Ed wanted us to talk about failure. Yeah, here we go. He said the word <laughs> he failure. Did. He said the word <laughs> <laughs> failure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I think a lot about this. Um, uh, sort of like. Ha- yeah, so I don't have that image of, like, God looking down and being disapproving. I don't but know I've where that thinking, came from,
0: too, because I did not grow up in a religious home.
1: Right, but it's there. It's just it's like, there. out in the culture. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because, uh, like, my, my parents were not very critical. They, they were critical, but they were not, like... I'm I'm like very critical of mm-hmm. myself, and th- I don't think I inherited that from them being very critical of me. But they are very critical of themselves, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think I observed and my, as a child must have like been like, oh, that's the way to be. Like, yeah. So uh, I'm just going to be that way. So I'm trying to. I think I'm getting better at not being that way because yeah. it's like shitty. It's yeah. like not fun. Um, so I'm I'm. It's like a focus. I think
0: there, like, I think there's just something about like being a human being where like dissatisfaction, you know, and, and grappling with problems and whatnot, and a certain amount of like self-criticism are just like part and parcel of the experience. Like, yeah. there's no, there's no getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe we don't have the most enlightened perspective on how to like treat that because we treat it like a problem instead of treating it like, like an instinct or something. Like you don't get mad at yourself for being hungry. Right. You're just hungry and then you eat food, but you get mad at yourself for, for like grappling with Mm -hmm. like inner problems Mm -hmm. and you compound it and make it a lot worse. I think it's just like, if we can just sort of accept that it's like, well, we're always going to have 87 problems and as soon as you solve one, another one appears and just get the hell on with it.
1: Yeah. Totally, I 100% agree. Uh, yeah I, I I love talking about this stuff. This is going to be the most like morbid. Great <laughs> podcast. This one's
0: for you. Ed.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah i um, I think about this stuff a lot. I like the only thing I think I I talk well. They're they're pretty equal. I, I like. Prophesitize about two things. One being improv, I like want all my friends to take improv, mm. and the other being therapy. Mm. <laughs> I want like all my friends to be in therapy because I think therapy is great. And uh, and my mother is a psychoanalyst, and I like grew up um, like eagerly awaiting like when I could be in <laughs> therapy. Like, I was, like like I can't wait for that rite of passage. Um, and I I like I'm I have been in therapy for years. I love it. I think it's really helpful. And um, I like there was definitely a shift at some point where like I think I initially went into it being like I can't wait to like cure myself of all the ways in which I make myself unhappy mm-hmm. or whatever um, and like st- stop thinking about it as a way to like fix things and cure things. not like big big things but like it wasn't a way to like stop being unhappy and just be happy, but more a way to like get to know myself better. Mm -hmm. And it it really is a process of like self-discovery more than it is a process of Mm self-betterment. And that's been like a really helpful shift just in how I think about that kind of stuff. So I agree. It's like, I I think we have to stop beating ourselves up over like having issues because it does compound them and it makes them worse. And and then you like, once you add guilt to anything, it becomes much harder to, Deal with, um, and so like the more we can strike that like instinct to sort of judge ourselves or feel bad because we are bad at something or because we feel bad about something, like the the better integrated human beings will be.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like with guilt because I I like I've actually gotten a lot better in the past few years, but like I don't know why I carried around a lot of guilt. Yeah, and I tend to. Carry a lot of like any negative experience, or like if if I if I do something that hurts somebody, uh, um,
1: you'll that's, remember that's it, it for
0: years. I think about it every day in my life for oh. twenty years. It's really hard to get it out of me. Yeah. You know, um, but like I think of guilt as sort of like paying taxes to this government <laughs> in your brain that's like spending your taxes on a war that you don't want to be fighting right uh, you know like yeah. that's it, very much how it feels it, it's just it drains you of like vital yeah. energies
1: yeah I totally agree I also think that sometimes we can and feel free to steer this back to improv or anything don't worry other than we're that getting at any there point. but I also think that guilt can be a way to actually like avoid dealing with the the thing, the initial thing at all. So like the more guilty I feel about something, the more I'm likely to like not deny it but not engage with it in a like in a in a fair way. Yeah. Um and so it's a it's a weird tactic to actually like not have to not actually have to deal with the thing that you're feeling guilt about. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah. Well, it puts you in a, the the guilt kind of like keeps you indoors in a way. It's like, if there's somebody out there who I I feel guilty about something I said or did, I'm going to stay at home in the comfort of my own guilt to not see them.
1: Right. Right.
0: And you have the added extra thing that like deep down in the center of that guilt is a little tiny thought of like, I'm a great person for feeling so guilty (laughs) instead of just like, well, maybe you made a mistake or maybe you did something wrong, but that's life kid. And it goes on and, and, and you got to like confront it and integrate it and get the hell on with your shit. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to just like feel that guilt and it saps you. And again, it's like, there is like a horrible satisfaction in the center of it, of like, right at the end of day, when when my soul goes to judgment i'm going to heaven for having felt so guilty i
1: love that you are not like you weren't raised religious but all the all the uh like metaphors you're using are religious it's interesting
0: it, yeah i i don't know it just it's in the culture somewhere mm-hmm. somewhere it got sucked in there when i was like 2 yeah but yeah. you know that that you know going back to like your parents for a second you were saying that like they never criticized you. Not but never, they, or, but they but, weren't but, like, like it was not, horribly
1: right. critical. Right.
0: Yeah. But you absorb their attitudes about themselves yes. and it becomes your attitude. That's what happens when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not even what people say to you that mm-hmm. really gets in there. You absorb the, like the unconscious attitudes of the world around you. Yeah. And before you know any better, cause you don't have a well-defined map in your head right. that just becomes the real world. Right. And if you're not digging down there to kind of, update and upgrade your system mm-hmm. you got a a, a a lot of bad code in there yeah it, it, or inaccurate code right Ac-
1: it's like miss you like accurately assess something or you accurately like observe something but the explanation that you that you attach to it as a child is is off yeah. in some way yeah yeah
0: and you just continue every time your computer reboots Right. You continue with the exact same programming Mm -hmm. and it's so deep down there that you don't even know it. So you just assume everybody's mad at me or whatever. And it's like, nobody gives a shit. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. You're not that special.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Which is another like interesting thing too. Going back to therapy. I've never done therapy.
1: Oh, you should try it. It's so fun. I I want to. It's not fun. That's a, that's like the wrong word. (laughs) Grant's laughing at me. It's not fun, but it's like the most interesting thing I think.
0: Well, Nothing in the world is more interesting than yourself. Right. And that sounds like a really horrible thing to say, but the fact of the matter is, um, we're all just fascinated with ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, to different degrees and and whatever, and people express it in very different ways. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't think there's anything, not only do I not think there's anything wrong with it, but I, I think you know sort of like all right here's my this is also very personal
1: great this is a personal podcast there i feel go. like we're getting we're you. getting there S- ed
0: suck it peter <laughs> i want to get back to your timeline Yeah, afterwards, I, I want to get back to dates too. and figures <laughs> jesus christ i my kind of like i guess like spiritual take on the world or whatever mm-hmm. is um as a kind of like stuff happens because it can like the world does things because the possibilities are there Mm -hmm. and somewhere deep down at the core of it, it's all just curiosity of like, what am I? And so whatever that, what am I thing is just keeps on manifesting itself as more and more, things happening it starts with the elements and gravity and space and Mm -hmm. time and then the different permutations therein that eventually turns into the growth of life and human beings who then partake of the same thing of like what am i capable of yeah you know and and, like uh, you can be a selfish piece of shit about that and a real jerk to other people and 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 live in this kind of solipsistic universe of i'm the only thing that matters we can kind of like embrace that like you know what? Like I love myself. I'm so fascinated yeah. with my inner workings and, and that can become, this is where it relates back to improv. I think that that's kind of involved on a certain level with the shit that you discover in the moment when you're improvising with people, Definitely. stuff comes out of you and mm-hmm. it comes out of this shared mind that you're partaking in collectively yeah. and you're amazed and delighted because you don't know where it came from. Yeah.
1: Yep. And it's that
0: thrill of tapping into that process, that very fluid thing of like fucking fascinating, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I fully, that's a really interesting idea. Um, but yeah, cause, and I guess the other thing is I think that the same, um, whatever it is that, that makes me fascinated by me also makes me fascinated by other people. Right. And so I, I think like one of the, if I were to like assign three adjectives to myself, I feel like, like curious would probably be my top one. And like, a, especially about other people. Like I, I love like learning about other people and getting to know them and understand them. So I sort of, I think the the way I like, it's not so bad that I am also fat. And not, and not that it would be bad that I'm interested in learning more about myself, but I think it, it's like that same urge that also makes me like really want, seek connection with others and and like learning about other people and connecting with them and yeah I don't know.
0: There's a there's a book by um, Robert Anton Wilson that's called The Universe Next Door. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that title as a book. And sometimes like I, I think of just other people as the universe next door. Yeah. It's an idea I got from from one of Robert Anton Wilson's books. Everything that I'm experiencing, including you, is entirely in my right. mind. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. Right. Everything is happening neurologically in my nervous system. Right. Um, so crazy. But that's also true for you. Right. So at the same time as you exist purely in my head, yeah. I exist purely in your head too. Yeah. That it, it, That's just one of those like snakes following its own tail things that yeah. like, I think it keeps you really interested in, in like, oh yeah, I am super interesting. You are likewise super interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a good state of mind to be in. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I think that that's, you're operating in a, I mean, as like hippie and shit as it yeah, is, you're operating on a pretty high level because you can be a grown up and I think still stay in touch with that little kid sense of the newness and the weirdness of everything. Yeah, totally. I think it keeps you alive.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: I like the dumb ideas that kids have.
1: Oh my God. They're the best.
0: They're great. Yeah. Because they just have so little experience and they're so close to like nothingness. (laughs) you know what i mean like they're much closer to nothingness than we are we have a whole lifetime of shit they're like right at the brink of nothingness and so they just ask really obvious questions that Mm -hmm. are really stupid the older you get but are probably the best questions yeah you know yeah improv improv there's another like my favorite you probably know this you I'm sure maybe not actually I don't know you oh I gotta say you were you big sibbed one of my classes like a year and a half yeah, ago or so yeah. I still talk about you to other big Aww. sibs as the sterling example of how to be
1: oh that's so sweet that makes me feel very nice
0: not to discredit any other big <laughs> sibs but uh, uh, Nolan Constantino yeah. and Carly Minardo and you are the big three you Aww. guys are the ones who like you set the bar super high so big sibbing was the best big it's
1: is the best it's awesome it's yeah. great
0: um, my favorite game to do in classes is monologue hotspot. Mm-hmm. I teach level four here at the Magna theater. Check it out. Magnet That's pretty much nothing but monologue hotspot. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the yeah. world. And if I could get away with it, mm-hmm. I would just do a three hour class. And that's all you would do is play that for three yeah. hours. Because when you remove the pressure to like, listen, there's a very basic selfishness built into that game. I'm listening to you talk so that I hear triggers that bring up memories and associations for me that I then tag in and share with everybody else. But there's a really interesting thing, even though people are listening to each other really selfishly, Mm -hmm. they're listening to see what comes up in their own mind, they actually end up... Listening really yeah. well, and like a genuine curiosity and yeah. connection actually comes up, which is the opposite of the kind of good, charitable, decent person listening we tend to do at like parties and right, stuff. Right, where we're
1: just like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm, and I'm, not actually processing anything that the other person is saying. Yeah, yeah.
0: I actually don't give even half a shit about <laughs> you're what like, you're saying. Ah. I'm just waiting for my turn to say something. Right. But there is something about the nature of improv that for it to work Mm -hmm. you have to kind of get past yourself a little bit and you have to learn to be interested in the people around you. Yeah. And that's, I, at least I think right now, as of today, that's sort of the foundation of it operating.
1: Yeah. I, I think I fully agree with that. I, I, yeah. Whether it's, yes, I don't have much to add. I agree. (laughs)
0: You and um, Rick Andrews and Megan Gray and, and Michael Lutton, you guys all do the free intro classes, and, yeah. and you guys cover level one classes here. Mm-hmm. I have nothing but the highest respect and awe for you guys because that's something I'm terrified of. I think I would be Mm-mm. really bad at.
1: Yeah, it's not true.
0: I, I think so. <laughs> um you guys, all of you guys, but between you and me, you especially, Hannah, are exactly who I would want as my level one teacher. Um, what do you keep in mind to make that experience a rewarding experience for the people who are coming into your care?
1: Well, I, I mean, sort of like what I was talking about with my elective play coming up Sundays in June, uh, <laughs> um, similar, like I, 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 um, I obviously want to teach everyone how to improvise. Um, sort of the very basic ideas. Okay. Truth in comedy. Yes. Anding things like that. Um, but I, I want to make people feel comfortable and I want to make people feel less scared. Everyone feels scared in a level one class. Um, they all show it differently, but, um, but people are scared. And I think I want to make them feel like they're in an environment where it's safe to like do or say anything. Like one of my favorite things is when someone in my class will like say some, like something that's like really like gross or like racist or something not like I don't like love it when my students are racist but like I love it when my <laughs> I love it when something comes out that like they would never have let come out mm-hmm. if their filter were up because mm-hmm. to me it's like oh like this is a successful that's gonna happen like we're, we're teaching people or I, you know I, I feel like it's important to teach people how to like let stuff come out and like not always filter everything before it escapes their mouth and like how to sort of not judge themselves and it's sort of like removing a step from like the way we are in in our other lives mm-hmm. um and so when something comes out that like as somebody immediately gets embarrassed by i always weirdly take that as a good sign that they're like getting the idea of improv but i don't know i i, I think that i want people to like have to to like grow as as humans mm-hmm. in my class and i want them to connect to each other i've started thinking recently about how like I don't think I've, maybe I've said it in a class or two. It just, it only occurred to me recently that like a class is, is its own ensemble. And I don't know why no one's ever like said that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it just occurred to me recently. I was like, yeah, I want to start talking about that more in class. Cause I think, I think that that's also something that's really important. Like I want a group to feel bonded yeah. and, and like they're taking care of each other. I don't know, I just said like twenty things that are important to me, so I don't know how I do all those or like how I what I prioritize, but
0: it sounds like you have a pretty clear North Star up ahead of you that yeah. you're following. I, I totally agree about that ensemble idea and and that's actually something I've started to say when I give the lecture about like not being absent. Yeah. There's like the official don't be absent thing. Right. But then there's also like you learn skills in classes and that's obviously really important but you also like improv is a knack it, it, a lot of improv education I feel happens kind of between the lines mm-hmm. and and yeah. there's like games that we play and exercises and and, and a handful of r- rules that are generally more helpful than not but really those are all there to kind of point you in the right direction Yeah, and so much of it is just like Learning how to play with these people in this room learning totally Learning the key to kind of open your mind to their mind so that they begin flowing together yeah and and that totally is an ensemble thing that is not uh, I've started doing the this is not a yoga class lecture at the uh-huh. beginning of my classes that y- you can't just kind of come in and pick and choose right. Because you're learning how to be with these people. Yeah. And there's no replacing that experience.
1: Yeah, totally. I totally agree. Yeah. I thought of another thing that I didn't say also that I want that I want to do in class. Yeah. Is I like, I guess, I, and maybe this is, maybe I did say this already, or I said a version of it, but I, I also think like one of the things that's really most exciting to me is watching people like do things they didn't know they could do. Yeah. Um, and so it's like trying to figure out the right the right way to push people and the right things to like like the things that feel just outside of their comfort zone but that you know Mm -hmm. they can do Mm -hmm. to like push them in that direction and see them do it and and that's just the cool it's like such a I feel very um this is also so like touchy-feely but I feel really like honored that I get to have anything to do with that process. Yeah. It's like a really special thing. Yeah. So,
0: anyway. Going back for a second to you playing the piano, mm-hmm. which I would love to talk more about after the podcast. Great. Um, it's really interesting to me that you don't have much of a problem with fucking up somebody else's score, mm-hmm. but that when it's kind of you it's really unbearable to be a fuck-up. It, 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 that's where the mistakes are really problematic. Yeah. Because, like, I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. It, it's super interesting that actually that's a place where it's almost like there's too much of a direct window right. into your inner workings. Right. And, and you kind of can't bear the 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 embarrassment or, or, or self-criticism that comes up for judgment there. Yeah. But... It's, it's exactly that spot I find that like as as conscientious improv teachers that we're trying to make okay for other people exactly yes it it's it, it's that like untutored unlearned thing that you really love, that weird thing that comes out of somebody's <laughs> mouth that is not meant to be funny. Yes. it's just you know you just saw a clear insight into the way this person's brain works yep. and i I've been thinking about this a lot recently too, that like. It's actually really useful to, like, learn from your embarrassments in your own real life to try to help other people have more courage about it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, like our failures as individuals a lot of times make us better improv teachers, Right. I think. Yeah. Because we try to protect people from not the experience itself, but from that yes. dumbass shit that goes on in your brain yeah. around that experience. Yeah. I don't know.
1: No, totally. Because it's like every time you you maybe we'll strike this word fail. Every time you like do something that you feel embarrassed about or that you feel bad about, and you are fine because that's what happens. Is like we do things and it's like I fucked that up or I did this like really horrible thing, and then like most of those things don't actually impact or affect us Mm -hmm. in any lasting way, Um, and so the more. It's just like being alive. I mean, it's just like age and time and stuff. But the more, the more we're able to, like, do these things that feel so like important and, um, and embarrassing, uh, in the moment. But like, shortly after, we are totally fine, and we realize they were insignificant. It's like the the more that idea it gets reinforced in my own head and yeah. And then the more you, you want to like help people who you can see still doing that to themselves. Um, yeah.
0: You know what I think it is? I think it's like, it's an upgrading system kind of thing. I think that as you improvise in very like small, subtle ways, you're upgrading yeah. The operation of your system and and you kind of like replace old shitty programming with slightly better, newer programming. Totally. You start to replace a little bit those like grown ups that you internalized who are sitting right. in judgment on you with grown ups who are delighted and amused by what you're doing. Yeah. And grown ups who you have to be delighted and amused about two, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, instead of there being these like godlike beings that are just sitting in judgment looking yeah. down on you, you just realize that, like, oh no, the grownups in my life are other universes next door as well, well. Yeah. and they're fascinated with me, and I'm fascinated with them, and you let go of like certain like superstitious behaviors that you feel are like at the heart of your personality. You just, you, I mean, I'm not saying anything particularly new, but like by playing a lot with other people and trying on different points of view and different personalities, you just upgrade your system.
1: Yeah. I think so too.
0: Timeline stuff, Hannah, (laughs) what was the first show you remember really speaking to you? Oh, I know. That's why I don't (laughs) ask those kinds of questions. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Um,
0: uh, just I don't say know. Peter's show peter
1: anything peter i saw <laughs> I saw this trike show once, and Peter was just on fire, and I thought I want to be just like that someday, and I still remember it. He played some very physical character <laughs> and he, I think, either he or Nick like spoke for the other person while the other person was like mouthing it. Yeah. What else happens in a trike show? That's you. you covered it very well. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah,
0: the trike is a wonderful show. <laughs> I know it I totally. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, what are the dates again for your director series? My
1: director series mm-hmm. um, is Thursdays at nine in May.
0: Uh, magnetheater.com for more information. Hannah, this has been a delightful and fascinating thank conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank this you so great. much for speaking. Hannah Chase, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Louis Kornfeld. Hooray! Yay. We love ourselves. We do. Uh,
0: thank you for listening to the Magnet Theater podcast, you guys. Uh, I'd like to give a special thanks to Grant Michael Goldberg, our engineer, and Evan Ford-Barden, our producer, with executive producer Ed Herbstman, also at the helm. The Magnet Theatre Podcast is brought to you by the Magnet Theatre Training Center, where we offer classes in improvisation, sketch comedy, musical improv, storytelling, character creation. If it's funny, we are teaching it. You can find out all about the classes that we offer, including our weekly free intro to improv classes, some of which Hannah Chase teaches. That's right, I said free intro to improv classes uh find out all about that and more at our website magnettheater.com i've been lewis Cornfeld. thanks so much for listening gang bye 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 you've been listening to the magnet podcast